Hey, what's up? I'm Brendan Craig, and welcome back for episode two of the Craig's Corner podcast. Today, we'll be reviewing and discussing U season three, payoffs and subversions, and comparing said payoffs to The Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker. We're going to get right into it, so grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and let's chat. Spoiler warning, if you have not seen U Season 3, this is your chance to skip ahead or exit out and come back if you do not want it spoiled. For those who have seen it or don't care, I'm going to read the synopsis from Wikipedia to give context, and then I'm going to dive straight into my review. In the third season, Joe and Love are married and raising their newborn son, Henry, in a fictitious California suburb in Madre Linda. As their relationship dynamic takes a new turn, Joe continues to repeat the cycle of obsession with a burgeoning interest in Natalie Angler, the next-door neighbor. This time, Love flips the script to ensure that her dream of having the perfect family will not be torn away so easily by Joe's compulsive actions. However, after Love takes care of the Natalie problem, Joe turns his obsession to Marianne, a librarian who shares a troubled childhood in the foster system. Further complicating Love and Joe's relationship, Natalie's stepson Theo falls head over heels for love. So in the long-awaited season of You, season three, uh, in my opinion, it did not disappoint. Although a lot of its following dropped due to the delays because of COVID, it was definitely worth the wait. The season had its familiar sense of wondering who would fall victim to Joe's obsession while adding to the dynamic of love's compulsive reactions to any perceived threat to her family, often without thinking. With a few subversions to keep you thinking, it wasn't easy to figure out how things would play out. I, for one, expected Natalie to be playing a much bigger role in the season than she actually did. Additionally, I did not expect there to be a love interest complication on love side of the story. Uh, you definitely expect that a bit more from Joe, not so much with love, but as we found out, that was not the case. Mix that all together with a privileged, shallow, and nosy town of people, notably Sherry Conrad, who I could not stand, there was a constant sense of being watched, and any missed detail could lead to the end of Joe and Love's facade of a normal suburban family. In the end, it turned out that all the efforts Love made to protect her family ultimately led to its demise and her own death in an insane twist. I appreciated the fact that the writers were able to show that despite our main characters being psychopaths, they are in fact people, and they are not completely cold-blooded. I had completely expected Sherry to get what was coming to her with a glorious plot twist uh, with them pinning the deaths of the people of Madre Linda on her. I also expected Theo to have to duke it out with Joe once he found out about the affair between him and his wife. And I also expected Joe's flashbacks to reveal his ability to kill people, and that is to protect the people he cares about by adding another layer and level of compassion to a killer. But None of the above plot lines happened. In the end, Sherry and her husband lived and were able to profit off of their experience. Joe showed mercy and understanding to a highly injured Theo who was left for dead, and Joe's flashbacks revealed what happened when he did not act to save the school nurse Fiona. The balance of these three plot lines and payoffs, with others that I didn't mention, created a thrilling story that was easy to lose track of time and binge just to see what happened next. This led to a suspenseful finale of the end of the Quinn Goldberg way of life. Joe was forced to kill his wife, sever two of his toes, burn his house to the ground, and give up the most important thing in his life, his son, Henry Forty. All in all, I thought it was a quality addition to the Joe Goldberg story, 
and I'm definitely looking forward to season four. In the intro, I mentioned I would be talking about payoffs, but first, what is a payoff? A payoff is defined as the return of an investment or a final outcome or result. Every story ever has payoffs. Payoffs can be the direct result of the overall storyline, or it could be something as small as a minor detail in a scene that comes back as a useful tool as the story progresses. Prime examples of this from You Season 3 are the cage in the store's basement, Wolfsbane, and the what we'll call enhancement drugs obtained from the Conrads. So let's break this down one at a time. The cage. The cage is an iconic and core part of You. It goes all the way back into Joe's childhood and serves as a safety net should things go wrong for our characters. If you remember from early on in the season, both Joe and Love hit a key in the cage should the other try to use it against them. At least that's what the story wanted you to believe. As we find out, the key was actually something used to save Sherry and Carrie from a slow and miserable death. If it weren't for the distrust between Joe and Love, there wouldn't have been a reason for one to be hidden there, thus giving our captives a way out should they have gotten desperate enough to look for one. Now, what if the story never showed or alluded to the idea of hiding a key in there? You either, one, prevented a creative way to get your two characters out of a situation, or two, you do it anyway and leave the audience baffled at how such a plot device could be shoehorned into the story. This is also better known as a plot convenience. Plot conveniences are exactly what they sound like. The writer dug themselves into a hole, and rather than fixing their story, they created a plot convenience to keep their story on track with their vision. The Farce Awakens and The Rise of Palpatine, <clears throat> I mean, The Force Awakens and The Rise of Skywalker are plagued with this, but we'll get to that. Now, Wolfsbane. Can we talk about how small and seemingly insignificant this was? This wasn't even on my radar as a direction the story could take. It was a detail in plain sight as just love tending to her garden in the backyard. This small detail was used to create easily the most intense part of the entire season, the paralyzing of Joe at their final dinner together. Not only that, but this led to the explanation of the mysterious passing of Love's former husband. Although it was passed off to him succumbing to his cancer, it later turned out she accidentally overdosed him, resulting in his death. This not only showed just how far Love is willing to go to hold on to something she wants dearly, but character progression as well. She didn't want to make the same mistake twice and casually coated the knife Joe would later grab as possible self-defense. This ensured the desired outcome was achieved while eliminating the risk of accidentally killing her husband. After all, it was to buy her time so she could figure out how to save her marriage. Before she attempted to kill him, anyway. And with that, that leads us to the final point of the enhancement drugs. The enhancement drugs, to me was another plot device hidden in plain sight, as well as uses misdirection for its intended use. If you were like me, you were under the impression that this could be used to sedate or bewilder their victims, not serve as a way to counteract the Wolfsbane. The drugs were introduced in the consensual gathering of the Conrads and our main characters in the bizarre look into the kinks of their friends. All these things combined led to significant payoffs and subversions to our story. The bizarre sex meeting where Love accidentally exposed their part in the murder of Natalie, leading to Sherry and Carrie being locked in the cage, which allowed Joe to obtain the drugs, which were later used to counteract the Wolfsbane. And when both of our main characters were considered dead to the people of Madre Linda, the keys hidden in the cage gave the Conrads a viable means to escape. 
All this was done without any plot contrivances or conveniences. If any of you listening actually know me, you know my absolute disdain for the Star Wars sequel trilogy. If you don't know this about me, you will. Although I won't be able to cover all the issues pertaining to these movies, I'm going to talk about a few that stick out in relation to our previous segments. Starting off with the theme of plot conveniences. Where to begin? If you've watched The Force Awakens, you can easily see why I chose this as the subject of this topic. The movie is drowning in them. In summary, the Resistance sends their most daring pilot to pick up the only clue they have to finding Luke. This pilot happens to be there while the First Order happens to raid that village looking for the same information. Now, why the Resistance only sent one pilot to secure vital information that could help them end this war is beyond me. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This pilot, Poe Dameron, sends BB-8 to run anywhere with the map and then gets captured for information. There also is FN-2187, who clearly defected as he cannot fathom the idea of ending innocent life or seeing the death of his fellow friends and stormtroopers. He decides to try and escape. How can he do that? He needs a pilot. Oh, wait, he has one. Neat. After a heated chase, he crash lands on the planet of Not Tatooine, walks several miles in the scorching heat, wearing his presumed dead friend's jacket to conveniently end up in the town our main character Ray is in, who also happens to have come in contact with BB-8, who has the map leading to Luke Skywalker, who happens to identify the jacket of his lost friend. The First Order is alerted to this and sends a whopping two TIE fighters to capture them. Wow. Our heroes rush to escape and the only vessel not immediately blown up is the Millennium Falcon, which is immediately found by Han Solo himself shortly after escaping the planet, which is immediately boarded by two factions who are after him. All of this happens within 15 minutes of the movie starting, and we haven't even truly started down the direction the story's even going to go. Now, let's talk about the rise of Skywalker and plot contrivances. <laughs> Oh boy. In the rise of Skywalker, in an unnecessary scene, our heroes receive information of the return of the Emperor, who was never even hinted at as a possible return. The Emperor resides on a never-before-heard-of planet that can only be found using one of two MacGuffins to traverse the harsh space cancer that is between you and the planet of Exegol. Even though you can just fly around it, but alright. In order to find the MacGuffin number two, since the story shows that Kylo has the first one, our stories have to go to another planet that also is in Tatooine to find a dagger of a dead assassin that has a map to find the second MacGuffin in the ruins of the second Death Star. Somehow, they happen to crash land in the exact area near the exact spot Ray will stand on to hold the dagger up to find where it points which happens to line up with the wreckage that hasn't moved or shifted in the last 30 years. At the exact angle, at the exact distance to see it from, and the little attachment points to the room that it's held in. Then, after determining the seas are too rough to traverse, our lovely Wonder Ray does it anyway. You go, girl. But the evil Kylo Ren is already there to take it from her and crushes it. This is probably really problematic to their time-sensitive mission, right? LOL, no. Thankfully, she's already beaten Kylo twice before, and this time is no different. And guess what? He left his ship with the first MacGuffin in it. 
How convenient. Also, you remember the droid that looks like a hairdryer from the planet not tattooing? He also has a way to navigate to Exegol. Wow. The movie is also a clear example of plot convenience and contrivances. Now, I'll give credit to JJ for trying to make a good final film after Rue and Johnson obliterated any possible continuation of the story. But holy shit. Within those two summaries, we already saw the effects of both plot convenience and plot contrivances. Although they help the writer's story progress, that doesn't mean it makes for an impactful story that resonates with the audience. As a matter of fact, it's rather distracting and takes you out of the story. After all, what are movies and stories meant for? To take you somewhere other than your current reality. In the end, you end up with a cheap ripoff of something that could have been good had you taken the time to plan out your story and where it'll lead. If your story can only progress a certain way through certain means of happenstance, it probably isn't a good story. Not to say conveniences or even luck can't happen in a story, as many great stories have a level of luck included. But when the foundation of it all resides on sinking sand, you're left with a hollow copy of what a story once used to be. That concludes my review of You Season 3, The Force Awakens, and The Rise of Skywalker from a writing standpoint. Now it's your turn. What do you think? What other examples of both good or bad payoffs or subversions did you find in these films? And remember, you can follow me on social media at Craig's Corner Podcast. Follow, like, and share if you enjoyed, and we'll see you next time.